0: Glad you could join us today on RK Ministries podcast, where each week we engage culture with biblical truth by sharing a message of truth and hope from a biblical perspective. Like the podcast, share the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, find us on Facebook and Twitter, and hope that you enjoy today as you join us on this episode of RK Ministries podcast. Well, greetings and salutations from the great state of Alabama once again. Been a beautiful, Lord, today, and hope everybody had a good opportunity to go worship the Lord at a church near you. Uh, we did this morning, continuing our series on Sunday mornings through the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, the moral code of God, and just uh, on Third Commandment today, which we'll post on our podcast uh, in just a little while once I get done here. And also this uh, will be posted. We're going to start our series in Ecclesiastes uh, tonight. So once we get done here, it'll be posted on YouTube and on Rumble and on the podcast. And so I encourage you again to go find me on YouTube, go find me on Rumble, like, share, subscribe, uh, and also find the podcast wherever podcasts are available, RK Ministries and go like it, share it, subscribe it, as we can continue to advance the audience and impact people with the truth of God's Word. <clears throat> and I need to come up, I was thinking about it when I opened up, you know, greetings and salutations, come up with me a good, uh, mm-hmm. one of those good, cool uh, entries like, you know, uh, other people use. Uh, under the bunker beneath the headwaters of the liberal tears or some kind of something like that. But anyway, uh, food, food for thought. Uh, for now, suffice it to say, greetings from the great state of Alabama will have to do until I come up with something cooler than that. So I thought we'd start tonight with uh, Ecclesiastes and kind of give an introduction, kind of overview uh, of the book and and where we'll kind of be heading get a flavor of uh how the how we're going to understand the book and and the main thoughts and messages of the book and so uh, i'll primarily be using <clears throat> obviously God's word but probably three three commentaries two i have uh readily available access to the other one i may have to find um but uh, on occasion I, I have seen uh, quotes from it and you know I think it's uh, it's a good commentary so one will be uh, by Craig Bartholomew uh, and it's uh, probably more of a scholarly um, commentary it's going to be uh, it's called Ecclesiastes' it's by Baker commentary on the Old Testament and I found it on uh, I don't know how to say this app, but it's it's Scribe uh, if you want, to, and it's got a D on the end of it, uh, so I call it Scribe D or Scribbed maybe it's the way to say it. But anyway, uh, you can pay a basket subscription there, and that that commentary as well as a lot of other commentaries are included into that with that app. A lot of other books, not just commentary religious books. There's a lot of other books are, are on there. But anyway, that's where I, f- I found that one, and we do subscribe to that, so I, I can use that commentary. Uh, and then there's another more, uh, uh, probably more popular level, uh, and that's by uh, Philip Riken, and it's, uh, again, the title, Ecclesiastes, Why, Why Everything Matters, and that was produced by Crossway, and that, too, is on that same app. And then the, there's another one, that the, the one that I'm trying to, uh, I mean, I can find it. And it yeah, obviously, Google, tell me right where it's at. But it's not part of that same app, so I've got to come up with another way to get it, or at least find access to it. Uh, but it's uh, by Temper Longman, and again, it's another more popular level. Uh, it's called the Book of Ecclesiastes. So anyway, <clears throat> uh, those will influence our journey through Ecclesiastes as we go along with, obviously, God's, God's Word uh, as we compare uh, the, the the totality of Scripture with what we learn from Ecclesiastes. And so why, why even study a book like Ecclesiastes? Obviously, it's part of the wisdom literature section of the uh, Old Testament or what we call the Old Testament. I think it's Tanakh is uh, the way the Jewish people would refer to it. Uh, and this is the the wisdom part of that Old Testament. So why even study these? You know, you got people out there in the world today like uh, Andy Stanley, wanting us to unhitch from the Old Testament, and uh, even even wanting us to unhitch from most of the New Testament. If you think, if you look at the the, the way he goes about his uh, uh, ministry and his and his teaching. Uh, he, he has a minimalistic canon, uh, primarily the, the sayings of Jesus, if you will. They got the Gospels, in particular, the sayings of Jesus, and maybe a few other things. Um, but I need to say, well, why should we study these things? Well, because it's Scripture. Listen to what the New Testament says, what Paul says about. Scripture, And I think that it's important for us to understand that everything that God has revealed to us, everything that God has written or given to us as, as in scripture is something that's important and something that is relevant for us today. And we ought to study that because it is the truth of God's word is the way God uh, uses when uh, the Holy Spirit uh, what the Holy Spirit uses in, in the primary way to bring about sanctification in our life. You remember Jesus' prayer? Uh, Sanctify them by your truth and your word is truth, in John 17. So in that sense alone, it's important for us to study all of God's word. And so here here Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, says, now these things happen to them as an example. He's talking about things that happened to uh, uh, saints of old. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So, all of the things that have happened throughout history that God has written down in Scripture were written there for our benefit and to help us in our life as we endeavor to live worthy of the Lord and walking away in a manner that brings glory and honor to God's name. Again, Paul in Romans fifteen four. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. So again, the scripture and the truth of scripture, all of scripture, both what we call the Old and New Testament, uh, are important to our encouragement, important to our hope, and encouraging to, to uh, strengthening our faith so it, it, it behooves us to study all of God's Word not just portions of God's Word and then 2nd Timothy three sixteen, 16 all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof for correction and for training in righteousness so we'll see a lot of that through uh, Ecclesiastes when we go there and then go through it God will use this book to encourage us, to teach us, to reprove us, to correct us, uh, and to train us in righteousness. And so, uh, at least from a scriptural standpoint, it's important to study uh, the Old Testament and God's, God's Word in that, in that light. And so, that is one of the reasons we're on this journey. Another reason we're on this journey is because one of my friends says, hey, how about let's go in here next? And I said, okay, we'll do that. <clears throat> and so, here we are in Ecclesiastes. So, <clears throat> I guess we ought to start at the beginning. The title of the book, uh, and, and in your Bible, if you have it open, or if you have an app open with the scriptures on it, you'll see right at the top of the page uh, Ecclesiastes, uh, and that that word ought to ring a bell for us. If we, if you know anything about um, Greek or the Greek New Testament, uh, you will recognize that that word is rooted in. Uh, Koine Greek, it, it is a word that, uh, ekklesia, that you will find in the New Testament. Ekklesia, a lot of times, is a church, we, we, we it's translated as church, but it really has to do with called out ones, because you know, it has a preposition, ek, means out of or, or from, so it's called out ones, which ultimately re- re- represents this idea of an assembly or, an, or a gathering, people are called out to a gathering, to an assembly. <clears throat> in, in the sense of New Testament is called out by God to become part of the family of faith. But in, anyway, the, the, the bigger picture of it is, is the assembly of God's people. And so in the Septuagint, whenever the Septuagint, uh, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, when they translated the, the Old Testament into Greek, they chose the title Ecclesi- uh, uh, Ecclesiastes from that word Ecclesia, uh, in in Koine Greek to represent the assembly, and I think a lot of that has to do with the actual main character of the book, because I think in the old in the Hebrew Old Testament the the actual title uh, may be uh, I think it is derived from the. The word preacher in the New Testament, I mean in the, excuse me, preacher in our English translations in the very first verse, it says in verse one of chapter one, the words of the preacher, the son of David King in Jerusalem, and that is uh, Coleth, you know, it's spelled, it transliterated in English as Q-O-H-E-L-E-T-H, but it's pronounced in the best southern uh, Hebrew I can do, Koleth. Uh, and Koleth is, again, translated preacher. And some people even say Ecclesia is, is translated preacher. <clears throat> but Koleth really has behind it the idea of one who collects or calls people out to an assembly. So you, you have the same idea behind. The, the words, and so that's what they were getting at when they put the title on the book. And, and again, I think it's more fitting to think of it in this sense of this preacher, uh, this, this teacher who, who has identified himself as king of, of Israel, uh, calls people out to an assembly to instruct them, to teach them. And so that's kind of the idea behind this word, this word uh, and the title. It is a calling out of an assembly to be instructed by this instructor, this preacher. And, and so uh, the main character, Colef, is the one who unfolds for us the story, the narrative that we find in the book of Ecclesiastes. And so that leads us to the authorship and the writing of the book. So who was it that wrote it? Well, we have an identification. We don't have a specific name, but we have an identification, at least in the internal evidence. There's some external evidence that you could probably go look at. But I think the internal evidence, in my opinion, is sufficient for us to understand that it is probably Solomon, uh, David's son. Uh, there are others who may look to a different son of Solomon, or even someone who comes from the lineage, or excuse me, a different son of David, or someone who comes from the lineage of David, not necessarily Solomon. But I think uh, the way Sol- the way the book starts out, and some other things we'll look at here in just a second, I think we can come to a pretty sound conclusion that Solomon probably is the one who wrote Ecclesiastes, especially if you take it in light of uh, the book of Proverbs, in light of the book of Song of Solomon that we see coming uh, after it and i think there's some key uh key passages inside the book that help us understand that solomon probably is the one who wrote this book we've already mentioned in the very first verse he says the words of the preacher the son of david king in jerusalem now any person is at least who's read the bible the way we have it uh uh, in the canon of Scripture, would uh, would make the assumption that this is probably Solomon, especially where it is placed in in line with uh, Proverbs and and, Ecclesi- and Song of Solomon that come later. But uh, he identifies himself as preacher, and we know he's the son of David, and we know he was king in Jerusalem. So that, to me, again, weighs heavy on this idea that it may be uh, Solomon, and we see this title preacher used. Uh, several times to identify this author in this book, because it's almost as if it's an autobiography. And some of them look at it and try to separate out Solomon or the author of the book from the main character and in some sense there may be a little bit of third person kind of um motif behind the narrative once we get into the book but it still seems that it is this same preacher the same uh Koheleth who is the one speaking throughout the book so it is it seems to me that it's probably Solomon's um uh, solomon's journey and he uses this journey to help teach and instruct uh in particular his children and the people of israel and by extension all those who read uh this book at a later time but we also see in verse 2 says, Vanity of vanity says the preacher. Anybody who's reading this would identify the preacher in verse 1, same word with the preacher in verse 2, that coheleth uh, in verse 2. And then also we see it again in verse 12, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. So uh, clearly that is a direct re- reference back to verse 1. Uh, so the same person who wrote this for us, that has become scripture uh or codified in scripture it's the same one that is telling the story uh that we read about in ecclesiastes and then if you go over to chapter 7 uh verse 27 in chapter 7 we'll see let me see let me find it here behold this is what i found says the preacher while adding all these things up uh and then again we see it over in chapter 12 verses 8 and 9 in my opinion that that's this is probably one of the strongest um sections of the scripture that point back to solomon if you look at some of the other uh evidence from other passages of scripture which we'll do right right after this but chapter 12 verses 8 um 8 8 through 10. he says vanity of vanity says the preacher all is vanity besides being wise we know solomon was wise it speaks to his wisdom right uh you can see that in in first kings 3 and 12 and remember solomon was able to ask god whatever he wanted to ask him when he became king he could ask him for wealth or whatever and solomon chose to ask god for wisdom on how to lead his people in a wise way and here's what god says to solomon in first kings three twelve: behold i now do according to your word because i give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you and so again to me it it seems like a clear reference to Solomon besides being wise the preacher also taught the people knowledge weighing and studying and arranging many Proverbs Of course we know Solomon wrote many Proverbs my mind uh, in my mind's coming 1300 I don't know if that's the correct number or not but there's a lot of Proverbs that Solomon wrote down and we have some of those Proverbs in the book of proverbs it may have been more than the 1300 that's just a number popped in my head Maybe wrong because hey the older i get the little man in my in my head, uh, he can't always find those sticky notes that he once used to be able to just pull right out uh, very quickly. Sometimes he he, uh, he 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 has to search real long and hard for them, and sometimes he just kind of makes up. He he of uh, makes stuff up sometimes if if he thinks that's correct. But no, I try not to make anything up. But if you go off the top of your head, a lot of times you you might be uh, in error. So don't hold me to the thirteen hundred. You can go look that up and find out. Needless to say, Solomon wrote a lot of proverbs. And so, again, he points to uh, Proverbs, uh, and he says he arranged them with with great care. Uh, Verse 10, the preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly uh, he wrote words of truth. Uh, The words, uh, it goes on uh, to the end of the book. But uh, anyway, again, those at least point to things that were true about Solomon, then in other places in the book and again we don't necessarily need to read all of these but in chapter 2 verses 7 through 9 you can see where it begins he says hey uh, uh, what was that Verses, verse chapter 2 7 through 9 it talks about things that he accomplished building and treasures that he accumulated gold uh, those kinds of things and so we know that solomon was an extensive builder he built the temple of god uh the house of god after all david wanted to but god told david he couldn't because he had bloody hands uh, if you will uh, and he said that his son Solomon would do that, and so Solomon did. David prepared the way for the temple by accumulating a lot of material, and Solomon uh, saw it to completion as he built the temple. He built his own house. He built gardens. He built all of those things, and we see references to that, like in chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes, and you can find those kinds of things, 1 Kings chapter 7, 1 through 12. Uh, uh, tell us those very things about solomon and then you know his wealth again uh excuse me i was in the wrong place uh his wealth in two through uh, chapter two four through six dealt with his activities of building and those kinds of things his wealth was chapter two verses seven through nine you can see that in second chronicles 9 13 through 28 excuse me um his activities after writing this book uh, chapter 12 9 through 10 is a reference in ecclesiastes and you can find references to solomon that correlate with that in first kings 4 30 through 34 and so a- at least from those standpoints i, I mean with me and again uh, you know I, I come with the presupposition uh, that solomon wrote this this book just because of uh, things that I've come to conclude over the years, but to me the evidence is very clear just in the first couple of chapters that this is probably Solomon that wrote this book, and this is Solomon's story based on how this preacher goes about identifying himself through the book, and so the book then probably was written in, you know, 940, 945 B.C., somewhere in that in that time frame as it, uh, as it would relate to Solomon's life. And so that leads us to the purpose of the book. And I think the purpose of the book <clears throat> is really all about uh, a question that all of us ask. And we really see that question kind of couched in uh, verse 3 of chapter 1. Ultimately, what, what is, what's what's the point? What's the meaning of life? What is the point? Now, we, we have to couch that idea in in this because I think there is a... A juxtaposition that goes on in this particular book or uh, at least an assumption that life apart from God what is the meaning of life apart from God maybe we should put that phrase in this question uh, because I think that we'll see in the end that the conclusion is that without God life has no meaning it is vanity right uh, it is empty it is meaningless it is an enigma um, but life with God brings, brings meaning and s- you know substance to this earthly life and the life that is to come. And so that's the ultimate conclusion that the book comes through, and that, that's really the point. And so the preacher, Koheleth, uh, describes for us this journey that he goes on to try to discover the meaning of life. And again, most of this journey that he talks about is a, is defining the meaning of life, or looking at it apart from this idea of un, of 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 the creator or God or the fear of God or the fear of the Lord. He, he's painting a picture for us of what life is apart from uh, that understanding of our uh, need for uh, the creator in, in God and God and the fear of the Lord in our life. And so verse one, uh, chapter one, verse three says, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? So what is the meaning of life in a practical sense on this earth? Because if you look at verse four, after all, if we labor all of our lives, eventually we die. And so what's the point? Look at what verse four says. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. And so I'm going to live however long I'm going to live. I'm going to do whatever it is that my hand finds to do. And when it's all said and done, what is the point? Because I'm ultimately going to die and someone else comes into the world and they do this same vicious cycle. And so if you look at life in that way, apart from understanding uh, that there is a creator and that that creator created a, this universe and those of us on this world, this this ball we call earth for a purpose and for a reason, then if you if you take that variable or take that aspect out of the equation of life, then you may come to the conclusion, what is the purpose of anything that we do if all we do in the end is die? And nothing we do really will stand or mean for nothing, because you know, as the years go by, most of us will be forgotten, long forgotten. Uh, on uh, and, and and our lives and accomplishments will be of no avail to most people, because we will be long forgotten. So, in that sense, what is the meaning of life apart from God? And so that that's the ultimate question. And so Solomon goes. I say Solomon, the preacher. Coheliph goes on this journey, or at least tells us about this journey he went on, and some say to find the um, sumum bonum, the chief good in life. But you know, I I think that's maybe a that's maybe not necessarily a good way to look at what Solomon or the preacher was was doing. I don't think. I think he set out to try to find meaning in life as we go through Um, Ecclesiastes. I think we'll see that. He tries to find meaning in various ways, but it's ultimately from a perspective of trying to find meaning mainly, merely in the events of life what we find to do with our hands the pleasures of life the wealth and wisdom and all those kinds of things without this idea that we must have god in our life to find meaning now he comes to that conclusion at the end uh, and we see glimpses of that throughout the book but that's kind of the journey that uh, we will go through or, or go on with the preacher in this book and it's meant to cause us to think it's meant to cause us to contemplate uh, this question in a very deep way. Uh, where, where do we really find meaning? How do we really find meaning in the life that we, we are called to live, right? All of us are here. Uh, we live in this world. We see the good and the bad. We experience the good and the bad. And so how is it that we find true meaning in life? And is it in merely the things that we, we do? In the relationships that we have, and when it all said and done, it's all over. What kind of craziness is that, right? What kind of meaning is that? Uh, and so that—that's the the purpose of this book is to help us walk through and ponder this question of where true meaning for life comes, and ultimately, in the end, as we've already said, saw. So, uh, I'll continue to say Solomon because I believe this is his story, and he, he wrote it. Uh, but the, the author uh, tells us, the, the preacher, Kohila, tells us ultimately in the end that true meaning can only come when we come to the place where we fear God and we keep his commandments, right? We have that relationship with God, and we live in light of uh, this relationship that we have with with God, <clears throat> All right, so that leads me to key words or slash key phrases because uh, I think those words help us kind of understand how it is we ought to interpret what's happening in this, in this book. And obviously, if anyone's ever read Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes uh, you'll know right off the bat, at least from the M- English, that one of the key words is vanity. Uh, and that comes from the Hebrew, Hebrew word, again, my southern uh, English attempt to say Hebrew words, um, Hebel, maybe Hebel, it's H-E-B-E-L, is the transliteration of it into the English, and in general that word means vapor, it means mist, it means breath, uh, or wind, kind of air, so in, in that sense, yeah, you can have the context would lead us to a couple different conclusions depending on how that's word, that word is used. So we might come to the conclusion by that, at least using the the, the ideas behind it, the, the mist, the vapor, the breath, that in some sense is something that's fleeting. And I think we see hints of that in Ecclesiastes, that life is a fleeting thing, right? Um, and it's, it's, it's something that is here for a moment and gone, and we, and we see that from the rest of Scripture that life is like a vapor, right? So we we might see that at times in there, but I don't think that's the main thrust of this. The word he, Hebel in the in in the use in Ecclesiastes, um, mainly because of an of a phrase that is coupled with it. In other places in this sense that there's this imagery of it being vanity in 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 that we are grasping for the wind in other words it's something that we can't quite get a hold of right uh, because of that vaporous nature of it we, we can't quite get a hold of this wind and so in that sense it seems to carry the idea, as Bartholomew brings out in his commentary, the idea of, of an enigma, so a mystery. Um, and so in one sense, I think we will see that there is some mystery to the understanding of the meaning of life. And again, with this in the backdrop, apart from God, If we take the creator, if we take God out of the mix and we just look at life and the events of life, especially in light of death itself, the conclusion of this mortal life, if the Lord tarries, uh, then it is a mystery to what is the meaning of all of this if all that we have in the end is that we die and we become maggot food, right? what it, there seems to be this kind of mystery to what all the meaning of it is, but I think there's a while that's an aspect of it, and I think Bartholomew brings that out in a very correctly at least in my opinion, I think the bigger story that Koheleth, the preacher is trying to get across to us in 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 the totality of this message from ecclesiastes is more the idea of the emptiness of it in in the sense again you can take that grasping at the wind while it is visible and it is there there is this almost intangible nature to it because i with my hand i can't reach out in the sense know that i have grabbed hold to it right yeah, we, we, we have pneumatics and we can, we can capture it in tanks and pressurize it and use it to power things and all that kind of stuff. We can see it blow uh, the trees around and that kind of thing. This, var- this, ap- this, this vapor, it has, in, in essence, in a scientific way, it has volume of some sense and, and you know, in that way it's tangible, but it still seems empty. Right When we try to reach out and grab it, it seems like we've grabbed nothing. Uh, And so in that sense, if you take God out of the equation and you just live life based on this worldly, fleshly epistemology, a way of understanding truth and knowledge, feelings and emotions and what we experience, and death is the end of it, it seems as though life is meaningless. And so for me, I think that is the ultimate message that the preacher Kohileth is trying to get across to us. When we come to the end of it in chapter 12, he's going to tell us the end of the all of the matter, ultimately to fear the Lord, keep his commandments for this is man's all right. This, this is, this is what God has called us to because God ultimately one day, all of us will stand before him and get judgment. So in that one concept, we see that there is more beyond this life. Why? Because there's a God who created everything and he's going to hold everyone who is in this temporal life accountable in eternity. And so we will stand before God in eternity, which again, implies that there is more beyond this life. And and it's based on this judgment before God as to where we find our final destination, either with him or apart from him. Now we see the greater you know understanding of that from the rest of scripture whereas there are two destinations at the end you either find yourself separated from god in in eternal punishment in a place called hell hell, because you have been judged and found guilty um, or you find yourself in the eternal presence of god because you have been judged based on the righteousness of christ which has been bestowed to you. And so uh, in that sense, the conclusion that the preacher comes to is that there is true meaning in life, but it's only found in our relationship with God. And apart from that, there is, would be absolutely no meaning for life and it would be empty. All right. And so I think to me, that that's that's really the the greater contextual meaning of this Hebel, this word, is used 35 times in this book, uh, over 29 verses. So it's a very important uh, word. And, and, but there's another phrase that I think corroborates that meaning for me anyway. One, I've given you the grasping for the wind kind of thing. But the other is this phrase that's used almost as much Um uh, it's used about 32 times, well, a little less, uh, 29, 30, the one, 32. Yeah, it's used 29 times in this book, but there's a there's a corollary phrase to it or a synonymous phrase to it, under the heavens. You got under the sun and then under the heavens. Under the sun is used 29 times, under the heaven is used about three times, I, I believe, in, in this book. In this book, and I think they're synonymous, they're telling us the same thing. And so in that sense, what, 32 times it's used. So it's used almost as equally as this Hebel is. And so under the sun is really a figure speech, a euphemistic way of saying, hey, take away the throne room of God. Take away the creator and just look at this from an earthly perspective. And so if we just look at life from an earthly, temporal, physical perspective, Uh, you know, perspective without the concept of creator, then in that sense, life is hebel. It is vanity. It is empty. It has no meaning. And so uh, the point that we're going to learn is that the only way to find true meaning in life is to find true meaning in God who gives meaning to my life, your life, and life in general on this planet and in in this universe. And so um I forget where I saw this uh this kind of breakdown. This didn't come from any of those commentaries, but um but still I think both of these commentators or all three of them that I would use would, would agree with this idea of the general breakdown into two messages I think we see in this book. And one is that all is vanity, that's one message we see in this book, as we see in the very beginning, verse 1, or chapter 1, verse 2, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, and then he spends the next few verses through verse 11 explaining to us why all things are vanity, and so that's one message, but again, we got to always have in the back of our mind when we read passages like that in Ecclesiastes, that this Life is vanity, it is Hebel, without the concept of a creator God who brings meaning and fullness to life. And so in that one sense, we do see that, hey, if, if you are seeking to find meaning and pleasure, you're going to come up to, the equation is going to come up to vanity there is no fulfillment there is no meaning if all you have in life is pleasure and he goes through this litany of things throughout this book that we will see that he tries to find meaning in and again the idea is he tries to find meaning in these things apart from any concept of God or, 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 or a relationship with God so if you just look to pleasure Ezekiel chapter 2 you're gonna find you're gonna come up empty the vanity of pleasure. He talks about the vanity of labor. If you try to find meaning in life in just your occupation or your job, it's gonna you're going to end up with vanity, with hebel. If you try to find meaning in just human wisdom, you're going to come up with hebel, with, with vanity. If you try to find meaning just in life in general from a human perspective, you're going to come up with vanity. All, we see all of that in in chapter 2. If you if you want to think about riches or wealth and you want to find meaning merely in the accumulation of wealth and things, where well, you're going to come up with vanity, with emptiness. Life has no meaning if it's just about wealth. We we'll see that in chapter 4, chapter 3, just earthly existence period. If you think that you're going to find meaning just because you were born a human being and live on this planet, apart from God, there is no meaning in this life. It will be vanity. Um, He goes on and on and on, uh, political uh, popularity. If you think you'll find meaning in politics, you're going to find vanity. Apart from God, there is no meaning in life. And so that message is very clear that if you try to find meaning apart from God in any aspect of life, no matter what it is, your career, your pleasure, your desires, your relationships, apart from God, you're not going to find meaning in life. It's going to come up meaningless, empty, vain. And so that leads to the second message of the book. The second message of the book, I think, is helps us find or see where we can find meaning obviously we when we get to the end of the book but there's glimpses all along the way in this book that the only true meaning we can find in life is from our creator a relationship with our creator and i think if you go to chapter seven i think there's some aspects of that um later later on in there talking about fearing god right and Uh, in chapter 7 so there there are little glimpses of it along the way the ultimate conclusion of it it comes in in chapter 12 where he clearly states that this is man's end this is the the all of man is to fear God and keep his commandments and so the conclusion is that the only true way to find meaning in life is to find that meaning in the creator in God to fear God and of course we ultimately know that That comes through uh, our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And then there's another little aspect of the book Uh, in in chapter 12, verse 11, he talks about these uh, sayings, these things that will goad us or these nails, you know, that will pierce us, if you will, Uh, these wise sayings, these proverbs that will instruct us. And so I think what he is doing with Ecclesiastes uh, and ultimately what Solomon does with proverbs is to instruct, to teach, to cause us to think and to think deeply, Uh, about this issue of what is the meaning of life and how it is we ought to live life in relationship with God. And so to me, that's the overall meaning of this particular book. And, uh, so let's look kind of at an outline and and we may not, <clears throat> we'll follow it generally like this. Okay. The outline, um, I think this is an outline I got off of, uh, just blue layer Bibles, uh, uh, an app you can get again hey i like free things and so you can go you can download the app on your phone you can go to can get it on on your computer on the websites BlueLetterBible.org, i think is what it is it's a real good tool uh it's got commentaries most of them are going to be uh, from uh older commentaries or east public or at least public domain type uh, commentaries and nothing necessarily wrong with those just because it's newer doesn't necessarily mean it's better but the, the thing I like about that is it is a tool. It is a technological tool that you can use to do word studies, to do search. You can kind of get an idea of what other people think about a particular passage or, or, or scripture. And sometimes you can find just, you know, a general outline of a book, right? And so I found this general outline in the commentary section on dealing with Ecclesiastes. And if you look in um, various people break it down in different ways, you know, uh, Bartholomew breaks it down maybe a little bit differently than this, but it's along the same chapter verse kind of breakdowns, but just the titles are somewhat different. So, in my opinion, this is a general outline of the book, and it's a good way to give you an idea of of kind of the map of of this particular book. And I try to do chapters at a time, but we may not be able to do that exclusively in Ecclesiastes because if you just think about it, the first section that most outline have are going to be the introduction, the theme, the prologue of the book, and that's chapter that's chapter one verses one through eleven. So next week we may just go through chapter one one through eleven, and then we'll pick up from there, and we'll deal with the next section uh, so the next section that a lot of people bring in their outline it correlates with this one this particular outline calls it the first catalog of vanity so he begins to list for us uh, a number of vanities and activities that are their vanity that's a uh, chapter 112 through 226 and we might not do that whole section that's a lot Uh, to deal with and you know you guys know already that I'm long-winded and so uh, that that will take us several hours if we did that so we may break it we may finish up chapter one and deal with the first uh, verse first few verses there for chapter 1 12 through chapter 1 verse 16 so we may deal with that because the natural paragraph break I think uh, becomes chapter 2 verse 1 begins the next section. So we may take it like that, a section at a time. So it may take us a little longer than 12 weeks to get through um, this particular book. There's only 12 chapters, but it may take us a little longer than 12 weeks to get through. But that's okay. Hey, uh, we got the rest of our lives to do it. Uh, so that's one major section. Then then there's interspersed among these sections that deal with vanity, at least the way this particular um, outline uh, lays it out there there's they call it a poem a time for everything and most of us have heard that section of it you know time to live time to die time to laugh time to cry those kinds of things we'll talk about that that's one section versus chapter three verses one through eight uh, and then the next section they break down is chapter three nine through fifteen which is fear god uh the sovereign one now we may do all of chapter three in one sitting it just just depends uh on on uh how how i feel whenever i get to studying this if we can make that that leap in chapter three because there's only 22 verses in chapter three so we've done 22 verses in in revelation before but it just depends on how, how i think it ought to be broke down as we go through the study and what what uh really how i feel about it so uh anyway uh the next major section is verses 16 through chapter 3 16 through 4:16, which is the second catalog of vanities And then they have a second section here on the fear of God, the Holy and Righteous One. So fear of God, the Sovereign One, uh, we saw in chapter 3, 9 through 15. Here is the fear of God, the Holy and Righteous One, Ecclesiastes 5, 1 through 7. Then we have life under the sun. And now we saw that really already in chapter 1. So we'll deal with that aspect. But again, we see uh, a broader section of that in chapter 5, 8 through chapter 7, 24. And then uh, the eighth section that this outline has is the heart of the problem, which is sin. Uh, Ecclesiastes seven twenty-five through twenty-nine. Uh, then more on life under the sun. Uh, Ecclesiastes eight one through twelve seven. And so you can see when people do outlines, sometimes it's easy because they break it breaks down really easy into succinct sections of scripture that are easily identifiable but a lot of times in scripture things just overlap and we try our best to make outlines of a particular book in some way but you'll see how sometimes it goes back and forth and things overlap and we see that kind of here and then the the tenth and final section they have is the final conclusion in epilogue chapter 12 8 through verse 14. And so, again, may not follow that ex- that, that chapter verse outline a- exclusively, uh, but it gives us a good idea of where we're where we're going. So, with that said, let me wrap this thing up because we're over what forty five minutes right now. So you see, just an introduction, and uh, we ain't even got into the text. Uh, I can go an hour easily. Uh, so, concluding thoughts, and again, some things I'm going to read, uh, re- read and comment on, and I'll try to keep it as brief as I can. But uh, really. Uh, some of this a lot of this comes from Bartholomew in his commentary in the introductory portion of it there 's some really uh, insightful things that he brings out to make you think about this book and the tr- the real meaning of what the preacher what coheleth is trying to get across to us what Solomon ultimately is trying to get across to us in this in this book, and so uh, let me let me just read uh, some things will be summations of what we already talked about, but, but this is one of the first things that I put in my notes as it relates to this overall thinking about this book. Cohelith articulates his quest in terms of the meaning, meaning meaninglessness of work or labor. We see that in chapter one, verse three. So that one sense, so that in one sense, Ecclesiastes is a book is a book about work. However, this question backs him into the deeper question of the meaning of life under the sun. And and again, I think sometimes that's a labored way of kind of saying that what Solomon is trying to accomplish, I think, with this book, what God's trying to accomplish with this book in our lives is to help us think about what the meaning of life is under the sun in a very deep way. In relation to what it is that we do and see in life and this relationship with god and so it really brings us to this question of why am i here what is the purpose of life which is one of the fundamental questions that everyone must wrestle wrestle with in their life and the ultimate conclusion to that is that i can really only find purpose in 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 my life as it relates to my relationship with god why is it that god brought me into existence why is it that god has me in time and space in the moment that he has me right we know from paul's letter or excuse me not paul's letter from luke's writing in acts about paul's sermon uh, on uh, to to the epic and stoic philosophers in Mars hill there in athens that paul helps them understand that true meaning is found in life because god is the one who Puts us in time and space, in in the moment in history that we exist for the sole purpose of following or, or groping for him in hopes that we would find him, right? To paraphrase what Luke says uh, or records about Paul's sermon there, that it is in God that true meaning is and it's God that put us in the place he put us so that we can find meaning in him in this uh, in this life. And now one thing that I, I don't necessarily agree with Bartholomew on the way he he comes at this idea in Ecclesiastes because he sees Ecclesiastes as this juxtaposition between two poles. And on the one one hand he says that Cohelet, the preacher, uh experiences and examines life from this one pole that he uh, labels Hebel, vanity, that Hebrew word. And so that life is all about this vanity. It's all empty. It's all meaningless. And then the other side is this pole he labels carpe diem, which we know is Latin for seize the day, but he calls it, or he defines it as affirmation of joy. And so the idea that Bartholomew seems to Give as it relates to Ecclesiastes and this story, this journey that we're going to go on with Kohelet the preacher, is that even though the preacher sees joy and experiences joy and laughter and those kinds of things in life, that he still has this sense of vanity and there seems to be this dichotomy between some of the joy and things that he experiences and the ultimate vanity that he sees because of the ultimate End, which is death, in in my mind is is not that simple. While there is that there is that idea in here that life is vanity, in spite of the the momentary joys and things that we may see in this life that is surrounded by evil and surrounded by calamity uh, a lot of the times. The still the greater meaning to this and the depth of it is that what I need to understand is that the only real meaning I can find is having a life in light of God and who I am in God, who I am in Christ. And I find true meaning that way in spite of The ills and the evils and the calamities uh, that I see in life. And it's only in my relationship with God that I find true meaning in my work. It's only in my, with my, uh, in light of my relationship with God that I find true meaning in all the other relationships that I have in this world because I understand that in God there's more. It's not just about the temporal. It's not just about the earthly. It's about more that God has offered me in Christ Jesus, the eternality of it, and that I find true meaning in spite of the fact that I may, I'm going to die in the end, there's more that God has in store for me beyond this temporal. And even even in the tragedy of death, there's more because of life that is found in God in Christ Jesus. And so I think that's the greater picture and the greater message that this preacher is trying to get across. Now, obviously, he doesn't use the name Jesus, but it's still pointing to the meaning of life. And if you understand the, the Jewish mind, there was always meaning in in the covenant, and the covenant always pointed to this root that was going to come from the shoot of Jesse, the lineage of David, the Messiah that was going to come and bring hope. And we'll see, I think, glimpses of that along the way in Ecclesi- Ecclesiastes. And so while I see what Bartholomew is saying, I, I think there's a deeper, and, and again, I'm not saying that he don't bring that out. I'm just saying to me that concept seems to be a little bit um a little bit lacking in 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 the fuller understanding of of the book and now he does point out i think uh, properly that the preacher in some sense comes to life in this journey that we're going to go on with him in ecclesiastes looking at it from an autonomous human perspective in in the sense of we if you look at it from an uh epistemological standpoint how we know knowledge how we know truth Uh, he's this journey takes us a lot of times on merely a human perception of what truth is a human perception of uh epistemology and so in that sense we come up with the answer that it is all vain only We can only find true wisdom and true knowledge from this relationship we have with God, the creator. And so when we add God, and again, not, not to use that, that's not a good way to look at it, but when we, when we have in our mind this idea of God and creator and relationship with God, then it ultimately does lead us to the place we can truly come to a wise understanding of the meaning of life, for lack of a better way way to put it and so he deals a lot with that with that idea we, we can only find true knowledge and, and wisdom from God and it's out of that relationship with God that we see the true meaning of of life and And he talks a lot about Bartholomew does about this enigma uh, that there's a mystery to life apart from God in a sense that's true right there is this mystery to the meaning of life if you take out uh, God and take out the creator and our relationship with him but again, I think there's more to this story than life is just a mystery apart from God. I think the greater picture of this story is that life in essence has no meaning and it is empty apart from God. It's not just mysterious. It has no meaning and it is empty apart from our relationship with God. And that's the conclusion we have to come to. Uh, listen to what Longmire says, temper, or excuse Longmire, <laughs> that's a TV show. Uh, Longman Temper Longman says uh, about this and again this is Bartholomew quoting Temper Longman uh, from his commentary from Temper Longman's commentary on Ecclesiastes Uh, and uh, Bartholomew adds Koheleth here. Koheleth presents, this starts Longman's quote, uh, presents a true assessment of the world apart from the light of God's redeeming love. His perceptive, uh, his Uh, perspective, rather, on the world and life is restricted. He describes it as life under the sun that is apart from heavenly realities, apart from God. In other words, his hopelessness is the result of the curse of the fall without recourse to God's redemption. I think that is the better understanding of what the story and the message of the The journey that Koheleth, the preacher, takes us on, is that apart from God and his redeeming work, that life is empty apart from the redemptive work of God in Christ Jesus. Now, Bartholomew says that that's kind of a, um, a shallow or limited way to look at it, and I, I disagree with him on that aspect of it. I think that is the exact message that Solomon is trying to get across to those he had gathered together to uh, teach to. But Bartholomew does come back around, I think, a little bit in this quote. He says, the futility that Ecclesiastes exposes is that of trying to find meaning while embracing human autonomy in a world that depends on uh, on every point on its creator. And so Bartholomew is saying really the same thing that Longman is saying, even though he critiqued Longman's quote just a moment ago, but he comes to the same conclusion really that if you look at life merely from a human perspective, he calls it an autonomous human perspective. And again, we're all about autonomy, right? Uh, That's the the banner that we hold, especially uh, as as American uh, Christians, this banner of autonomy uh, in some ways to the detriment of God's sovereignty. But that's another story for another day. Uh, if you, but the point he's making is, if you embrace life merely from a human perspective, that it does, it is an enigma. In from his to use his language, it is an enigma if you don't see that every aspect of life depends on a creator. It is vain and empty and meaningless and an enigma because just our breathing depends on the air that the creator provided uh, for us. And so they come to the same conclusion, I think, uh, even though um, Bartholomew critiques Longman a little bit uh, in in his uh, statement. It's really the same truth. All right, so uh, what is the point? This is me. This is neither one of them. (laughs) What is the point uh, if all we do is live and die? And that's a legitimate question. If all we do is live and die, what is the point of life? Uh, truly it is evil it is vanity if that's all there is living and dying no matter what happens in the dash in between right the two dates on our on our uh, tombstone no matter what happens in between those two uh, dates if all there is is beginning and ending we live and we die it is meaningless it is empty it is vanity and here's here's I think the truth that we come to and we'll, we'll see this woven in along the way in the New Testament brings a uh, sheds light on the broader understanding of it is that in God there is true meaning in life because God brings this redemptive aspect. He writes the wrongs. He overcomes the fall. He brings redemption to humanity in Christ Jesus and it is in Christ that we find true meaning in this life and ultimately in the life to come because we realize in Christ that there is more to just this life and that everything in this life finds its meaning and its breadth and its depth in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And that leads to another quote that I found. This is from Gordon Spikeman. Uh, It's from his uh, work called Re- reformational theology <clears throat> and he quotes this he says or he says this nothing matters but the kingdom meaning the kingdom of god but because of the kingdom everything matters that's th- the point of this book apart from the kingdom of god apart from king jesus apart from god enthroned the creator of this universe nothing matters But because of the king, because of God, because of the sovereign creator of this universe, because God is enthroned, his kingdom matters and everything matters in light of the kingdom of God, especially, he goes on to say, the ministry of the church, the people of God, not just a building, the ministry of the people of God and the church's daily living. And again, when you think church, we have we in our culture have begin we we think church. We think only of buildings most of the time. But what he's I think what he means is the people of God. We are the church, and our daily life, everything you do in your life every day, finds its meaning in Christ Jesus, in God, in your relationship with Him, and that ought to drive how you live your life. In this meaning that you find in God, it brings meaning to. Everything. And I want, to, I want to end with this quote from Bartholomew, and then we'll pick up beginning in chapter 1, probably verses 1 through 11 next time. Bartholomew says this Just as Hebel, vanity, cast its shadow across all areas of life, right? It is vain without Christ. So too does Christ claim all areas of life as rightly His, and thus. To be redeemed and brought to their fulfillment under his rule. Christ does not just teach about the kingdom through his incarnation. He enters the very history that is subject to futility and embodies the kingdom in his acts and ultimately in his death and resurrection and ascension. In his death, he takes upon himself the full weight of the futility of separation from God and thereby opens the gate to entrance into the kingdom, in which full meaning is found in Christ. Wow. That's a summation of this story, right? So that's why I say he comes to the same conclusion that uh, Longman does. In Christ, in God true meaning is found in life and apart from him it is empty and it is futile it is vain it is evil so for you today and for me are you where are you finding your meaning for life are are you going to be like koheleth are you going to be like this preacher this narrative here that we go on this journey you're going to be trying to find meaning are you trying to find meaning and pleasure Are you trying to find meaning in wealth? You're trying to find meaning in your occupation? Maybe you're trying to find meaning meaning in earthly relationships. Nothing wrong with wealth. Nothing wrong with uh, enjoying yourself in life in an honorable, godly way. But if you try to find meaning in merely those things, you're never going to find it. You're always going to be empty. In, in whatever capacity, you're always going to be empty and longing for more because true meaning in every area of our life can only be found in, in our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. If you want true meaning in your life, you find it in Christ Jesus, and then Christ brings meaning to all the other avenues of your life. That's the message of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. That's the message that God wants us to hear and wants us to know. So today, I implore you, if you are seeking for meaning, you can only find it in Christ Jesus. So you must bow your knee to Christ. You must come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that he is the creator of this universe who stepped into humanity, stepped into human history, and he gave meaning to everything because of who he is and what he's done and he can bring meaning to your life if you will repent of your sin and place your trust in him. All right, that's my spiel. Remember, you too, rumble podcast go find us on youtube like share subscribe go find us on rumble like share and subscribe and find us on the podcast and do the same like share and subscribe It will continue to bring people to the audience and we can expand uh, on, on sharing the truth of god's word which is really the only thing that will change people and change our culture and god has given us a specific time in history for us to be a part of that right we all have a limited time on this planet And God's given it to us, and we need to use it to advance his kingdom. And so this is one way that we can do that, one way that I can do that, one way you can help me do that is by sharing this with other people who need to hear the message of Christ. Hope this was beneficial to you as we prepare to enter into this book. Next week, we'll get into the meat of the text. And until then, may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you.